Welcome to Rebirth of Venus, the podcast where I talk dirty about spiritual evolution, the self-love revolution, and how to embody the archetype of Venus, original bad bitch, every damn day. My name is Caitlin Matanley, and I want to thank you so deeply for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 2019. This is our first episode of 2019, and I am super excited to be starting this year off with a very, very special podcast episode. Um, I've taken the past couple of weeks off. I have to start by saying that 2019 has gotten off to an interesting start for a lot of us. And if you get my emails, you will have received one last week where I kind of go into this about how it seems like a lot of people put pressure on themselves to start the new year off, which let's face it, is just a artificial way of starting anew. We feel the pressure to start things off perfectly. And when they don't go according to plan, which spoiler alert, they never do. We get, we feel like we've kind of fucked it up all up already. Like it's only two weeks into the year and I've already fucked it up. <laughs> Literally, those are words I found myself thinking. And it I really realized that I needed to step off the pressure on myself and recognize that everything happens in the time it's meant to happen. And so if this year has gotten off to a bit of a rocky start, realize that you can start over at any time. You have the beautiful gift of deciding when your year begins and feel free just to release the pressure placed on you by all of the hardcore resolutions you set for yourself or the dreams that you initiated that you realized aren't even quite yours um, and really sit with yourself and realize that you can start over again, that you can completely change your trajectory at any time and most importantly, that in releasing control, you're actually going to get a lot farther. So I hope that little mini message is helpful because I'm seeing all these people posting um, about how like, I just need to start over again. And it's like, guess what, baby, you can do that. <laughs> so um, if you don't receive my emails, head on over to my website, rebirthofvenus.com. Jump on there. You're getting going to get a weekly message from me um, just about really I'm usually talking about things that I'm going through and as always if I'm going through something everyone is going through that as well I'll be sharing creative inspiration as well and little ritual ideas that can bring you through the year so that you can really create something that you are excited about rather than just something that looks good on paper so make sure to hop on to my list and join into the conversation so today I have a really, really exciting podcast for you because it's the first interview on Rebirth of Venus. Are you guys excited? I know I am. <laughs> so I have sitting here giggling in the background, if you've been hearing him, is my dear friend, James Fox. He is a, an amazing alternative healer based in the Washington, D.C. area. If you don't know, uh, I spent many years living in the Washington, D.C. area, and James has actually been a close friend of mine for almost a decade. And we first met actually in the fire arts community where um, I was, we were both working with a circus troupe, doing crazy performance art, and in our conversations realized that we had a lot of similar interests in movement arts as well as 
magical spiritual workings, and many, many more. So today I wanted to invite James onto the podcast to talk about the role of movement in spiritual development and how processing energy through the body can aid or hinder in our spiritual development. Uh, James is a yoga teacher. He is the author of yoga Ther- of Principles and Themes in Yoga Therapy, An Introduction to Integrative Mind-Body Yoga Therapeutics. And he is he has many, many years of experience in yoga therapy as well as in his own practice and a lot of personal experience in how movement can help and hinder our spiritual development. So how are you doing, James? Welcome to the welcome to the show. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm happy to be here. So, James, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us about what got you started on your journey. You can, um, in terms of your spiritual development, in terms of your focus on the movement arts, and uh, what that journey looks like for you today. Okay, so um, I began my yoga journey in Brighton, in England, uh, where I was studying the teachings of Bandas Garavelli. Um, with a whole uh, group of teachers that were working in this very, very subtle approach. And I fell in love with it and decided I was gonna embark on a teacher training with them. And that's really where things started to open up. And at the same time, I was beginning to explore Qigong and Tai Chi and Kung Fu with a teacher there from Iran. And so I began to explore those practices and I was also at that point introduced to cranial sacral therapy, which is the other art that I do, which is a light touch healing practice that works with the nervous system and the fluid systems of the body. So these were the things that kind of got me started. And I've been working and honing those for uh, most of the last two decades. Two decades, people. So this is a master of everything. <laughs> Hardly, hardly. James was actually laughing because when he he's visiting here in Mexico City right now um, on the beginning of a longer journey traveling in Mexico. And I introduced him to my love as a Kung Fu master. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, I'm a complete lay person. I have no experience in the martial arts. So to me, two decades is like, damn. So uh, in that time, James... What similarities have you seen between um, really what lies at the center of these different movement practices of yoga, of the martial arts, um, craniosacral therapy, and these other modalities that you practice? That's a great question. I mean, each of these arts is unique and has evolved within its own cultural context. And... They have different objectives, different practices, and yet they're looking to create a balanced individual. Um, somebody that's not just not just seeking health, but is seeking to become more aware of themselves and the, the aspects of life that are most important to them. Um, the martial arts have obviously got this martial component to them, uh, which is an important part of uh, high-level kung fu and other martial arts, but they also the the Chinese martial arts also have this deep meditative quality to them, um, which is a beautiful uh, aspect of them. And 
so yeah each of these practices is is different um and i've been sort of making it my task to see where the touch points are to bring them together in my own experience when i share them i tend to keep them separate so that we don't create these kind of hybrid things that lose the quality and lose the lose the edge and the uniqueness of each of the practices so you won't be teaching kung fu yoga anytime soon no yoga lattes i'm I'm not not doing that you won't be opening up a studio for uh kung fu yoga and yoga lattes i mean there are times when i in some of my workshops where i'll share multiple practices i teach a, a seasonal workshop so one every season where i bring together aspects of yoga and qigong and meditation and journeying practices that take us into ourselves and i think that really works people love it people really seem to get a lot from it but for the most part i'm keen to really follow the advice of my teachers that are very traditional and keep things a little bit more discreet in terms of my uh, the practices themselves so we're not we're not we're not over blending because i think over blending can create simplification um so yeah that's that that's really some of the things that i'm practicing and uh this ability to perceive energy takes time to develop and then this is really i think what we're going to be talking about today is is the you know our energetic perception and and how energy moves through us and creates change within our living system you know i'm really interested in what you said about balance because these are ancient systems and they really are all rooted in balance. And I mean, I, I study Ayurveda in terms of, and I, and I follow the, the tenets of Ayurveda in my diet. And one thing that's very interesting about that to me, which is, you know, sister science of yoga is that it's about balance. It's not saying you have to eat this. You don't have to eat this. Just like yoga isn't necessarily saying you have to do this. You don't have to do this. It's about bringing balance back into the body and really bringing the body back into a state of balance. Mm-hmm. And my question for you is, with this emphasis on balance and maintaining and achieving a state of balance in the body, how does the energetic body link to these physical practices? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about balance, what is the connection between the balance attained physically and the balance maintained energetically? Mm. So we... In the yoga, uh, in the yoga world, we talk about koshas, which are layers of the body. So we have like a mental layer, an emotional layer, an energetic layer, a physical layer, a spiritual layer, and each of these different layers is interacting with one another all the time as we practice, as we go through our lives. And so there are these ways in which changes, for example, emotionally, are going to hit back into the physical, uh, shifts in our spiritual perspective or in our spiritual practice are going to link back through to our minds. So um, the actual process of exploring the the yoga journey includes some things that we should not necessarily do and not do, but there's guidelines, the yamas and niyamas, which, which help to kind of give us guidance around how to live our lives in the most helpful way to develop our spiritual practice. And so they create a framework for living. And then the the breathing practices and the movement practices, the asana and so on, they then are a part of that system. Um, as we explore our physical asana work, we begin to feel both structural aspects 
and non-physical aspects happening at the same time. We're feeling the intensity of stretching. We're feeling uh, changes happening in our nervous system, in our spine, in our skeleton. And at the beginning, it just feels overwhelming because there's so much information coming. But as we begin to refine our practice, we begin to sense how these aspects of ourselves are in relationship with each other. And my, my overall suggestion is that people begin gently because the process of unraveling our personal history that's held in our bodies takes a lot of time. Oh, <laughs> I want to put that quote on, I don't know, the show notes. <laughs> Note to the person listening, by the way, that's me. When I go to edit, put that in the show notes. No, I, what you just said about that process of unraveling our personal history mm-hmm. that's held in the body, how that takes time. I got chills because really that's, that's really why I wanted to have this conversation today. You know, I've been, I would say deep in a spiritual practice for maybe six years, really not that long. And, you know, sort of playing with spiritual practice for much longer, probably about twice that time. And one thing I realized when I was playing with spiritual practice was that actually I was having a lot of experiences where I would experience a physical release, usually through yoga or through sometimes dance or other you know physical practices, whether or not I was focusing on them from a spiritual perspective, I would experience a physical release and then something external in my life would change massively. But I didn't really have the language for what was happening. Now, luckily, I was somebody who had basic spiritual knowledge as well as just a willingness to kind of let things happen. And so I didn't experience the negativity a lot of people experience around those occurrences. You know, I practice kundalini yoga and a lot of people ask, you know, isn't that dangerous? <laughs> because they hear that this is a yogic practice that releases a lot of energy. But in my experience, that energetic release can happen at any time. And so I want to hear your perspective on how we can, well, first of all, what the role of movement and energetic release through movement is in our spiritual development. Um, How much importance would you place on movement and energetic release in helping us grow spiritually and personally? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's easy if you're engaged in spiritual practice to neglect the body. And I think there's a tendency within certain spiritual communities to not focus on the physical as much and see it as less or um, maybe not as important as our energetic or spiritual selves. I think that's nonsense. I think all the layers of ourselves are equally important. You know, if unless we're physically grounded in the world, then we're going to encounter problems in our spiritual life however advanced our spiritual perception is um you know as living beings engaging in our lives energy is interacting with us all the time every experience that we have we're encountering with all these different layers of our body the energy is running through our living system uh whatever way you want to look at that whether it's the kundalini energy or the the energy moving through the meridians in chinese medicine or what whatever model of energy you want to look at energy is moving through the living system all the time when we encounter challenges or resistance in any aspect then there is a change in how that energy flows and 
potentially, if the situation is overwhelming, then energy can get blocked in the system. And so one of the things that our movement practices can do is begin to free up those energy blockages, allowing energy to flow smoothly again so that all these different aspects of our energetic existence can come back into balance. So, for example, um, if somebody encounters something where they have a, an injury or a surgery in their body, they might find that energy no longer flows easily through there, which then affects their ability to do certain things in their life, whether it's engage in exercise or sports or sexual uh, endeavors or what, whatever. And then that then changes the way that they feel about themselves. It changes the way that they think about the world. And so everything is everything is interwoven. We, can, we can't separate things. I think including a movement component to your uh, spiritual process helps helps people to maintain ease and flow in all of their affairs. Sounds good to me. Who else could who who couldn't use more ease and flow in all of their affairs? <laughs> you know, it's I think this is actually a really good moment to back up just a little bit and talk about what we mean when we talk about energy. Because it's really easy to assume that everybody listening has sort of a basic understanding of some of these ideas. And when you hear the word energy, I mean, most people think of it one of, one, in one of two ways. One, the scientific sense, you know, like in science class, when you hear about how, you know, energy behaves in a very certain way in the universe, you know, from the physical standpoint, from the standpoint of physics. And then in the spiritual world, we talk about energy being something that is, you know, sometimes people talk about it in terms of like good vibes and bad vibes, the energy you get off of another person or the energy that you pick up from a, a, a social situation or a crowded area. You hear some people talk about being energetically sensitive. Now, my argument is actually that we all are, but that's, a, that's for another episode. Um, and, you know, for me... I've only just recently started to realize that they're the, that they're the same. They're talking about the same thing. Exactly, exactly the same thing. Exactly. You know, when we raise energy and movement, whether it's in, you know, dance, I mean, in ritual, in my, in my work with Venus, that's a big piece of it. Really every um, fertility, abundance, love, deity, or archetypal energy in every tradition, dance is a big part of raising that energy. Mm -hmm. Um Energy can be raised through sex. Energy can be raised through physical exercise. And physically, you will feel like you have more energy. So is that the same as what we talk about from the spiritual perspective as energy? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think for a long time, there's been this partition between science and spirituality as the West has tried to study these ancient arts from other cultures and it's very much looked at them as the outside and tried to use its own language and concepts in order mm. to understand them. But it's but it's also partitioned itself and created a, a world of physics and chemistry and biology that's different from the world of spirit and energy. And, and I just don't believe that that's the case. And as we, we get more uh, healing arts practitioners who are doctors, as we get more physicists that practice Qigong, we start to have people that are able to confidently and comfortably talk about both sets of energetic concepts or both 
both realms of existence um, with similar ease and the, 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 the movement practices that many of these ancient traditions include have very, very advanced um, practices within them that allow the practitioner to perceive very, very subtle uh, differentiations in energetic awareness, both within themselves, within the space around them. And, and as these things become studied more, then it will in turn help those scientific fields to grow further. So mm. when the when the scientists first started to encounter the yogis in India, they would study them with instruments to try and understand how they were able to maintain um, breath retention for many, many minutes or shut their heart down for periods of time or, or, or have some of these kinds of meditative states that were beyond what the West was able to understand. And so that was the initial tool for understanding was to poke them with scientific instruments. And th there's definitely some benefit in, in doing that. It, it, it helps the Western mind to get more comfortable. But really what we're doing as we begin to embark on these arts ourselves is we're going beyond the mind. We're going beyond the mm. Western mind that, that limits what it is that can be perceived. And in my, in my in my own personal practice, I've had so many experiences that were outside of what I could understand that I actually, I for the most part, I, I, I don't really use like a strong belief as like the, the way of uh, determining whether something is, is real because I'm experiencing things in my practice every day that are that are pushing out my boundary of what it is that I know. Wow, that is really, it's really interesting to think about because you're absolutely right. In the dominant culture of the West, there really is this focus on putting things into boxes as and a way of understanding measuring, them. And measuring things. And measuring them. Mm -hmm. And even in terms of the, the role of movement in our culture. And I say, I talk about the dominant culture of the West only because it's the only culture I've lived in. But actually, I have a suspicion that it's really the dominant culture of the world in much of the developed world where movement ha is, is focused on for a purpose, either to improve the way you look or maybe to improve the way you feel in terms of your energy with your physical fitness. But there really isn't a big emphasis on the mind-body connection and how that can actually be used as a means of growth. Now, a lot of people do experience profound, like for example, someone who starts on a fitness journey. A lot of people do experience profound change in other aspects of their lives because as you change one set of habits, others change as well. But there really isn't always that language for that. So I'm imagining a lot of people listening and maybe some of them have a designated spiritual movement practice. Maybe they practice yoga. Maybe they practice um, mantra meditation, which uses sound to, again, change the, change the way the body and the mind are interacting with each other through subtle movement. Maybe they, you know, have a dance practice or any of these other practices. Perhaps they even, you know, have a physical fitness practice that they do view in a spiritual light. But I think a lot of people don't have those things. 
And like you talked about, starting slow is important. So do you have any suggestions for people who um, maybe feel disconnected from their bodies or feel very disconnected from their spiritual side? How to bring those two together in a really um, simple movement practice so that they can start to release some of that energy that gets stuck when you are either completely disconnected from your body or when you don't focus on your body enough because maybe you're so focused on something like seated meditation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my, my sense is that there, there are a lot of people that are strongly desiring mind-body integration and they're looking for ways to do that. I see that all the time in my yoga therapy practice, in my Qigong classes and so on. And there are different things that people encounter along that, that journey. Um, they find that their minds won't shut up and they're, they're, this monkey mind is pervasive. And we have to be very, very patient because we've been educated in a way in which the mind is so dominant that it's what we've been trained to focus on. And so the, the main thing to do is persist. And through that gentle persistence, we can begin to find more ease in encountering the mind as we work with ourselves in movement practices. So as we're exploring yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, if we can find a good teacher in those things, then um, we begin to soften the way that we uh, experience our mental space. And we begin to find spaces within our uh, mental realms that allow for a different kind of perception because as we were saying earlier you know the the mind the mind is dominant and if we're going to perceive energetically if we're going to experience energy directly then we have to drop out of a an experience that is mentally dominant all the time the 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 old uh, perhaps the oldest intent of yoga is to calm the fluctuations of the mind. So the actual practice of yoga is is specifically been designed to help the mind to settle. And and as you go through that period, that initial process of working with yoga over over years, is that you begin to see how how jumpy the mind is. And as we continue to work with our physicality, as we begin to undo our personal history that's held in our body-mind, then the mind begins to settle. So really working gently with ourselves through these practices. And you know, initially I find very meditative states through running. This was before I had any mind-body practice that I was aware of. I found that by running, my mind would kind of process the day's events. I'd be a little bit more settled as a result never really fully feeling like I was settling into myself, but that's because the process was sort of largely unconscious. And, you know, some days it would process through easily. Other days, the day's events would not process as easily. But as I began to uh, explore meditation and mind-body movement practices, I began to see some of the same kinds of phenomena occurring, but I was a little bit more aware of what was happening. And then I was also receiving receiving guidance about how to meet the tension, how to release what, you know, that conscious process of release, which is really one of the main things that's happening in the yoga journey, whether that's conscious physical release or conscious emotional release. 
because it's bringing things into the consciousness, bringing things out of the the unconscious, out of the shadow. That's what really begins to create this transformation. Oh, so I'm really interested in in how some of those other practices, you know, you talked about running and I'm thinking even, and you'll, you can tell me if you agree or disagree, even things like maybe stretching beyond, you know, even before more of a traditional yoga practice or um, maybe in any type of physical fitness activity that people are drawn to already, uh, maybe even just dancing in their living rooms. <laughs> you know, for me, I know like whenever I'm feeling tense in my back, I actually, if I consciously focus on not just loosening up the joints of like my lower back and hips, but also really, really consciously bringing energy into my vortex, usually I'll just like put a song on that like requires me to like, you know, twerk in the living room or something. And (laughs) it's amazing how like that shakes up the energy of what I perceive as my lower chakras and makes me actually understand again that like I have the foundation in nature. I can create whatever I need to create. Um, and so you know, for me, that's like a really just simple, easy, tangible practice that I can do anytime, even if I don't have time, you know, for my full yoga practice or to go to a class of one of these other modalities that I'm not experienced in. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about how people can intentionally work with these smaller practices. Maybe it's just like a morning stretch. How can they use that movement to consciously release any energy stuck in the body and piggybacking off of that, how do we even know what kind of energy we have stuck in the body to release? Mm-hmm. So people, people practicing these arts are beginning to bring, as I mentioned earlier, more awareness to different aspects of themselves. So we're learning to feel for example, our physical body and its tightnesses. We're also learning to feel the breath. The breath is this transformational agent for change. So we've got these bells ringing outside. This must be a very important part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Someone right now, if you can hear it, everybody, they're ri- it's the trash bell. James doesn't know this because he doesn't live in Mexico. Um, a bell rings for you to take your trash out. It's a very high-tech system. It's not The bells are not for us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> Well, it's all synchronicity, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so the the breath the breath is key because the breath is the link between the body and the mind. It's one of the places where we can actually bring something out of the unconscious into the consciousness. We can bring our breath, which is a an unconscious activity. It's happening all the time, whether we're doing it or not, out of the unconscious realms of our being and then into the consciousness and we can see how it begins to affect the tissue tensions within any given posture or any given movement and so this this is one of the ways that we can in in a very short amount of time begin to shift our energy so if you've only got a few again if you've only got a few (laughs) minutes in the morning um, then some conscious breaths and some simple movement can can be extremely beneficial to release the tensions which then have effects into the mind um there was a, there was another part of the question that you that you asked there um i don't think we necessarily need to know where the energy came from exactly i don't think we have to even have to know sometimes the type of energy that may become clearer after um 
we don't necessarily need to know the exact event that created the tension in the body. It may be very obvious. If you've just sat on a plane for 10 hours, then you're going to feel various places as tight. But we're working with a living system that is integrating tensions all the time from all different aspects of our history, from our childhood, from our teenage years, you know, the way that we perceive ourselves, the way that we stand. We may have acquired postural patterns from our parents. We may have you know, developed a certain kind of an emotional response in order to deal with our previous relationships. All these different aspects in our body are, are culminating moment to moment. And as we practice, we're releasing things and it doesn't necessarily matter what it was that got released because the system will basically reintegrate anyway and then we'll be moving into the next moment of our lives. Oh, I love that you brought that up because that is a actually kind of a new concept for me that I, it reminds me of actually earlier this year, I took an embodiment class with Alexandra Roxo and she, in it, she talked about like, you know, crying, like in this practice, like you're probably going to be like growling and crying and doing all these things. And especially when it comes to tears, recognizing that like, it does not matter where the tears are coming from. And that was really news to me because I had always been that person who like, Maybe it's just from too many years of therapy. I don't know <laughs> where it's this like hyper self-awareness, which is actually, I think, destructive where it's like, you need to figure out what caused this crying. And as she said, she's like, I have a million reasons to cry. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> it and doesn't matter. And that's, the, and that's the mind coming back in trying to figure things out. Right. And so it's this, it's this, um, control that the mind wants to have on understanding everything on understanding all the processes understanding the release understanding these arts and i'm not i'm not dismissing understanding it's an important part of the journey but it's a small part and uh, one of my teachers says understanding is the booby prize it's actually <laughs> not the bit that's going to get us into a, a a lighter state of being or a an easier way of and embodying ourselves absolutely Wow. I mean, it's, it really is, was a game changer for me realizing that, you know, it is of course helpful sometimes to an extent to figure out the why sort of your personal history mm-hmm. and to process events from your past. But I mean, gosh, I think anyone who's been through the therapy circuit, which for me was very beneficial, but I definitely hit a point where I was like, you know what? I feel pretty solid on like what, on the sources of many of my demons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. now let's work on actually moving this energy through my body and releasing it because, you know, they don't really teach you how to do that in therapy. <laughs> You're not, and because we think like we're releasing by talking, Which, but actually, I mean, and, and that can help initially, but actually research shows that as you talk out these these issues, you're actually reliving them. Your brain doesn't actually know the difference between experiencing them all over again. And how is that beneficial? You know? Exactly. So, so the talk therapy can take us only so far. And you know, the, the mind body practices take us into a way that that personal history is held within us in a very different way. Not just logically, not just exploring the mind, exploring experiences as a mental event but as a as as a whole being event and you know i think as we as we study these arts more we're going to find how tremendously therapeutically beneficial they are that's really what i was trying to um unravel a little bit in the book in the book that i wrote uh, a couple of years ago 
um, when I work with individuals, what's happening is that they're, they're working with their bodies, their breath, and they're beginning to find these places within themselves that they just weren't aware that were there or the way that energy was held within themselves that they weren't aware of. As they become more aware of how they're holding themselves, how they're breathing, how they're thinking about things, everything begins to shift. In the West, we have this kind of slightly limiting idea of cause and effect, where a single cause creates a single effect. In reality, in my experience, the universe is a-causal. There are multiple causes and multiple effects all the time. And our human brain just can't really capture the complexities of life. And as we go deeper into our own healing journey into our own self-development we begin to realize that it's way bigger than us mm. this idea that like it's all in your head but your head is a lot bigger than you think it is <laughs> pretty much pretty much you know and 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 also as we as we deepen into the healing arts we realize that it's not us doing the healing at all the practitioner is really facilitating the healing within the individual by allowing them to become in touch with greater forces so whether it's yoga or cranial sacral therapy or qigong, the, these art forms allow people to unlock energy within themselves and get in touch with deeper levels of existence. And the practitioner is certainly not the one doing it. Uh, and of course, I should probably interject here and say, we are not licensed medical professionals. <laughs> Hope that's obvious, but... Of course, if you are in therapy, we're not suggesting that you stop therapy and go dance like no one's watching in your living room. But dancing like no one's watching in your living room might be a really nice add-on. In fact, maybe you could do that in your therapist's office. <laughs> so I, you know, you talked a lot about being gentle with yourself in the process and also of the benefits of not necessarily hyper-focusing on what is being released and, and why it was there to begin with. But I want to, now, I mean, this is really a question, honestly, I have for myself. So this is a selfish question. What happens when you experience a physical release that does, in a really tangible way, translate into your external life? I mean, I think of times, I, I have a few experiences that I remember very clearly that were very early on in my spiritual journey, where I experienced a really profound feeling of physical release in, for example, a yoga class or in, um, I remember it happening with, through my chiropractor and feeling a really conscious drive after that, that, you know, sort of a block had been removed and I was able to take action on something I hadn't been able to do so before. Now for me, that was something I could kind of dive into and just do knowing it was right. But a lot of people really struggle with that sense of self-trust. So I would like to know, do you think there is a place to a place for directing that energy in a more focused way? And how can we do that in a way that's constructive rather than impulsive? Well, gentleness is key because it's very easy for us to be hard on ourselves, particularly when we encounter the patterns and habits which we perceive as negative. And I think that kindness has to really take over. And when when we're practicing and things release, whether it's physical change or emotional release, 
We have to be very, very kind to ourselves. And this is becoming probably the most important principle of all the practices that I practice myself and that I share so that we're, we're just being a little bit more kind. Um, when, when, when big change happens, um, it unsurps us slightly and we have perhaps a sense that things that we felt were certain are now no longer certain. And so what these practices can really do if they're skillfully taught and put together is have these integrative components to them such as grounding, such as orienting to our resources, things that we feel are ways that we can maintain stability in our lives, whether it's our friends or, you know, being outside in nature or, you know, getting enough rest. Mm. The, these, these kinds of um, very, very simple aspects are absolutely essential in order to manage the change from the practices or the, the Kundalini awakenings that happen in our lives and then ground that energy back in in order to make effective changes. Um, and, it, and, I, and I think that's really why we have teachers is so that that guidance is there on how to do these things. You know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a culture of sort of, I can learn everything without a teacher. And whilst, you know, we're in this incredible time where there's so much spirit, spiritual information available to us from all over the world, from all these different cultures, having a good teacher that can pace the work gently enough and slowly enough that we can we can have openings but not kind of find that our entire lives are crumbling around us mm. <laughs> which we usually my style <laughs> i mean i think i think we've all gone through that at times you know and and so finding that finding that stability within the within change the the eye within the storm if you like it's really really important and the integrative components of these practices is what allows that. So, for example, sufficient shavasana. You know, the, the time that you spend at the end of the yoga class in which you become still is, is so essential. It's perhaps the most important part of the practice. You know, shavasana translates roughly as corpse pose. So you have this ritualistic death at the end of the practice that allows you to awaken anew as you leave your mat and walk back into the world. So you're literally creating that kind of new beginning that you talked about for the new year at the end of every single session that you do, providing that you provide sufficient integration. Um, having techniques um, for grounding, for, um, for centering, these are really, really important parts of the mind, the, the, these mind-body traditions. And because they were originally taught in often in sort of small groups or monastic environments, these, these integrated pieces were part of the tradition. And as they've exploded into the Western world with, you know, big classes and um, all sorts of different styles and approaches, some of these details have become lost. And as a result, people are can be destabilized by these practices easily and one of the things that i'm really looking to do with my work is is bring some of these pieces back in um so that people are able to integrate these very very powerful practices into their lives 
and experience the changes in their world that they that that come about as a result of their, the transformation of their energy field. I'm so glad you brought up the Shavasana piece. I mean, earlier yesterday when we first started just chatting about these about this topic, I talked about how I mean over the past year, how when I really started going deep and and intentionally deep into the practice of kundalini yoga i you know really i mean the, these practices really really work on strengthening and sort of upgrading your nervous system so that you could actually receive properly but one thing i was finding is that i was still crashing a lot so i would have these really really high months where just like everything was manifesting and coming my way and just like everything was on fire in a good way <laughs> And then I would have a crash month where it'd be the opposite. And this wasn't my first rodeo, so I understood what I was experiencing. But I didn't realize that there was a really simple solution in front of me. And and this goes well beyond yoga. I mean, lots of people, for example, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs experience this where they maybe break through an energetic barrier and they really increase their income and then they can't hold that space and the next month they you know crash and they you know maybe lose clients or maybe physically get sick and so this is something a lot of people have experience with but <laughs> i was asking a teacher about like what i should be doing differently and they said double the length of your shavasana mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and i kind of laughed to myself because I've been really guilty of cutting corners with some of these other practices. And as I've become more sensitive, grounding, for example, has become not you know, completely essential. It wasn't, it's not something where you grounding or, you know, shielding my energy before going into certain, into certain places or in certain situations before I would do it or not do it. And now it's like, if I don't do it, I can really feel the difference. And it was so obvious in retrospect that I wasn't taking the time to integrate. You know, I would like close my eyes for a few minutes at the end and be like, all right, we're good. <laughs> I've, I've, I've shit to do. But that's, that's, that's almost, I mean, that's as important, if not even more important than the actual physical practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so permission to nap. Thank you. <laughs> finally. <laughs> that, you know, that, that time at the end of practice in which the, all the layers of the body are reintegrating and recalibrating themselves um, is is so complex and there's so many different aspects happening and yet what are we doing? We're simply lying down and, and relaxing. So again, this is where like there's just myriad causes and effects happening and the power of the practices as we go through them, particularly some of the stronger practices like Kundalini, um, really require that integration um, and the nervous system resiliency that develops by going slow taking your time not rushing into advanced practices within the first year or so you know I've, I've encountered people that have had very very strong yoga practices not grounded themselves sufficiently walked out into busy metropolises and then immediately found themselves in a car wreck and it's it's just it it's not uncommon because people are not grounded and they're not using and you know the classes teachers are not necessarily emphasizing that integrative piece enough so if we are to take these practices 
in this time which we're in, which in which there's more stress and more pressure and more sedentary lifestyle, um, perhaps than the, and more information than ever before, then we really need to ensure that we're looking at the full range of the practice and including these integrated pieces. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny thinking about in the bigger cultural context, you know, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, (laughs) but I actually, I mean, I can't help but to notice in the dominant culture of the West. And again, I actually have a suspicion it's really of the world, the developed world, the capitalistic world. There's a huge emphasis, for example, on sitting of making of, of definitely in the United States where I'm from originally of the of movement being for a purpose rather than a lifestyle. You know, I definitely think that in Europe, for example, in many countries, there's a much greater integration of movement in everyday life. Um, Whereas in the United States, I mean, people might work out really hardcore for an hour every day, which is like quite a lot of exercise in quotes. But if the rest of those hours are sitting down, I mean, how, how much benefit are they really receiving? So there's that piece. And then there's also really in my eyes (laughs) uh, at at times deliberate keeping of this information from the people in the spiritual world you know a lot of these ancient practices have their roots in having kept them for the elite and you know whether you look at that as because they were so powerful and they, they felt that the people needed to be protected or that they were so powerful. So that it was like, they need to be protected from the people. I just, it's really hard for me to balance this view of recognizing that we do need to learn consciously. And like you talked about the benefit of having a teacher or even just of systematically acquiring new knowledge on your spiritual journey but also what I believe is everyone's right to access the, their higher self, the benefits of spiritual development, regardless of whether or not they can afford a class or whether or not they have access to even the internet or these other resources. So, so where do we sort of draw the line or where do we make that balance between giving people the right information so that they approach this safely in a way that really can change their lives rather than just, you know, getting them so temporarily high that they walk into traffic mm-hmm. <laughs> or scaring people from even trying. Cause they're like, Oh my God, I could, I could like get into a car accident after yoga. Like I can't do yoga anymore. You know, we don't want to do that either. So no. what's, what's the line? I mean, it's definitely true that over, over the centuries, many of these arts were kind of protected and held within very specific groups and I think there were many reasons for that. I think that some, I mean, this is conjecture, but I think some of the, some of the more advanced practices were, were, were dangerous. And so people, it wasn't suggested that people just start with those. You know, people had to really work hard to become a disciple of, of the teacher. And then they went through very rigorous training in order to get to the more advanced practices. Um, but there was also an absolutely an elitism and and people and people protecting their work and now we're in this internet age where a lot of this information is out there and so a lot of these doors have been blown off the temples and and people have got access to information that was very closely guarded i think we have to as you said walk a very fine balance between 
gathering information um, and practicing basics for a period of time and, and allowing our more instinctual, intuitive experience of the practice to be valid. You know, I'm not in any way invalidating the the personal experience by suggesting that a teacher is there, but the teacher can help to provide a framework shouting behind you, a little bit left, a little bit right. <laughs> yeah. So that you don't fall off the off the razor's edge, you know, particularly as you go deeper into practice. You know, sometimes things that you're doing in practice may not become apparent for five to ten years. Or they even have a mentor to bounce those questions off of. Correct. Like, why am I crashing? Correct. Correct. <laughs> Double your shavasana, you know? <laughs> exactly. Simple, simple stuff. Simple stuff. And often the answers are quite simple. And then with those, by adjusting your practice, you can then go deeper, you know? And what we're really looking for as spiritual practitioners, I believe, is depth. Because there's a tendency within our Western materialistic culture to develop this spiritual materialism, this spiritual shopping. We talked about this yesterday, you know, where, where you, you do a workshop in this and a workshop in that, and, and, and we don't get depth. And, I, and I, I really believe that the role of the traditions is to hold the depth of the practices. And if we, if we want to go deep, if we want to be deep, we have to go deep in, in some of these things. And, and, and so we're perhaps studying with the same teacher for a, a long period of time who we then develop trust with and that relationship deepens and then more advanced practices can be shared that's been my experience and i've, I've found that to be really beneficial in developing a deep practice um but but i but i do think that you know we're in this extraordinary age where you know i for, for myself I'm, I'm practicing with high level yoga teachers high level kung fu teachers and I just wouldn't have had access to this, like even 50 years ago, like the, the diversity of teachers in a single lifetime. So it's a really extraordinary time to be alive. And, you know, I feel I feel very lucky and and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to share the practices as authentically as possible whilst keeping whilst keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. I always tell people, you know, who come to me with questions and I'm not I'm not a teacher, but, you know, I encourage them to be curious and to research and to, but not over research because also experience is the best research often, but to recognize that if you have apprehension around certain practices, that isn't an indicator that you should be afraid of them, but it's an indicator you need more information. And it's perfectly healthy to go into a new practice with a little bit of fear, a little bit of healthy apprehension but not let, to let that keep you from moving forward. Absolutely. I mean, there, there, are, there are so many traditions now that are coming forward with, with incredible practices that can really support us in our modern world. And so we, we you know, as, as people that are interested in, in consciousness and spiritual development, it is absolutely our prerogative to hunt out the best teachers and, and try and develop ourselves. And you're absolutely right. We're so lucky not to have to limit ourselves anymore to necessarily like the teacher in your neighborhood, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had some amazing teachers who I've actually never met in person. Of course, you know, discernment is important, both in terms of uh, in-person teacher as well as a, a virtual teacher. Discernment about, you know, we talked yesterday about kind of how to differentiate between who's the real deal and who's not. 
And just to be really aware of, you know, how that person makes you feel as well as, you know, where they're getting their information from. Is it is this sort of a self-proclaimed guru or is it somebody who actually has really studied whether, you know, formally under other teachers or even, you know, through their own practice, really, really deeply studied what they're teaching for enough time to have, a, again, that depth of understanding? I, th I think time is the key. And we're in this very fast paced culture where people want things now. And, you know, teacher trainings in yoga are three, six months or even a year. And basic training in yoga is 40 years. So, you know, we, we, we find ourselves in this, in this kind of dichotomy of wanting things quick, but knowing we need to slow down. It's, you know, like, what's the rush, really? What's the rush? Yeah. I mean, and these practices are practices we'll explore over a lifetime, hopefully. And when I first heard that 40-year thing, I kind of uh, laughed it off. But as I get sort of halfway into that, I'm kind of like, oh, right, actually, these people knew exactly what they were I'm talking about. I'm absolutely still the student, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, and, and being a student doesn't mean you can't teach, you know. Sure. But you really have to have the humility to understand you know, what you really have a grasp on and, and also who you're teaching. I mean, yes, a lot of people say, you know, to be a teacher, you just have to know more about the thing than someone else. But are you teaching the person who's three steps behind you? Or are you teaching, are you attempting to teach somebody who is, you know, either, or maybe you're teaching, you're attempting to teach somebody who is actually kind of further along than you. And you don't have the humility to understand where your own blind spots are. Yeah, we've got to be humble anytime that we're sharing anything. Um, everybody has different life experience and um, we're, we're all learning from each other, really. We're all learning from each other. You know, in, in any of the spiritual, magical arts, we're, we're, we're all kind of moving into ourselves in a deeper way and everybody's experience is valid. And yet people that have been practicing in certain traditions for long periods of time, they're going to understand those more richly. And there's that, that richness is going to come out in, in who they are and the way that they're being. Not that, not that all teachers, you know, teachers have flaws. We see in it everywhere, you know, in, in all different traditions, we're seeing teachers being outed for, uh, that, you know, devious behavior. So we've got to, we've really got to discern who do we want to work with? How do we feel as a result of the practice? Is this, practice uh, developing within me at a pace that's integratable in my normal life or am I being thrown completely off course by the practice so these are some of the questions we might be asking ourselves as we seek a teacher excellent questions well James I want to thank you so much for joining me for this conversation today I know there are so many juicy nuggets of wisdom and really thought-provoking ideas that we've just really scratch the surface on today. I mean, I feel like we could continue this interview for, I don't know, three hours. <laughs> Unfortunately, you have a flight to catch. So um, where can people find out more about you? And tell us a bit about what you have coming up in the coming months. Well, I'm here in Mexico to study with one of my yoga teachers, so I'm really looking forward to that. I get to play student for a while. Um, then I'll be returning to the States. Um, I'm teaching my winter seasonal workshop in Washington, D.C. You can find out more about that uh, on my website, www.jamesfaulks.com, F-O-U-L-K-E-S. Um, you can also uh, find my book on Amazon. That's Principle and Themes, Principles and Themes in Yoga Therapy. 
Um, and I'm going to be teaching a retreat on practice in, Flor- in Florida in May um, with a group called Unity Consciousness. Um, that's an exciting new project that I'm working with. Um, and the the whole basis of that retreat is about learning to cultivate your practice, what components your practice may, might include and how to practice most effectively, really. So that pretty much relates to what we've been talking about today. Excellent. And I'll be including links to all of those resources in the show notes. So if you didn't quite catch those websites or the name of James's book, click the link in the show notes and you can find out more. Um, And as always, if you have any questions, if you'd like to continue this conversation, I encourage you to reach out to me. The easiest, most direct way to do that is through Instagram at rebirth underscore of Venus. Um, I answer all of my DMs, of course, except for the ones that are like, hey. (laughs) So as long as you'll you'll start with, hey, you'll get an answer. I love talking about these ideas and any questions you have for James, I will forward those to him as well. So please be in touch. As always, um, make sure to check out the show notes for all of these resources and um, for the links on how to reach us directly. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've benefited from some of these ideas. And I really encourage you as you go into your week to focus on how you move, whether it's in terms of a designated movement practice or even just in terms of the movement you're you're engaging in in your everyday life. And really just start to pay attention to how that affects your, your mind, how that affects the connection between your mind and body, and how that is allowing you to move your energetic state through your body, processing things that have occurred, or how things are just making you feel better. I mean, really, we get so complicated with a lot of these ideas. And for me, my North Star, my compass with all of this work is how do I feel? Now, I talk about feeling good, recognizing that transformation doesn't always feel good initially, but it feels good to transform. So recognizing that if I'm feeling like I'm experiencing a positive trajectory forward, like I'm growing, and of course, like I'm just feeling damn good, I know I'm on the right track. So start paying attention to that and and just see what you find. Any parting words for us, James? I just want to encourage people to explore movement practices if they can. Um, it's been a, a huge part of my personal um, self-development process and I think it definitely improves the quality of your life your health and your overall sense of self excellent excellent words thank you all so much for listening and be sure to tune in next Friday for another new episode have a beautiful week and enjoy your life goodbye <laughs>